13 as we intro chapter 8 of our series, what I call Marked for a Mission. <clears throat> Thank you, Dan and rest of the team for leading us. Um, I don't know about you, but I never tire of singing about God's amazing grace. Grace upon grace. Um, I welcome every single one of you here today. Uh, we are blessed to be together um, as a body of believers. It has been a long week, I think, of the many that have suffered as a result of a storm. We need to remember to be praying for those down south um, and see how we can minister. I was receiving requests already for some of our brothers and sisters um, in need of Haiti, um, just devastated by this hurricane, Matthew. Um, I, I had, this has been a wild week for me. Um, first and foremost, uh, I need to announce um, the arrival uh, yesterday afternoon of our new grandson. Um, <clears throat> and we are just so excited about uh, the arrival of little Denson Bogue. Um, is his name a unique one? He's a, he's a little guy as well. Uh, he's only four pounds, 14 ounces, um, but he's healthy, and uh, we are just praising the Lord. I, I move into this new era of being a grandfather. I'm now officially out to look over <laughs> the top of my glasses, I think is, is what I've earned that right at, um, at this point. Also, as well, I want to just express gratitude as... Uh, many of you were praying. I had surgery as well uh, this past uh, Tuesday, and uh, praise God, uh, Lord willing, things are going better with that. It is interesting, though. I've never really faced surgery before, and they consider all surgery is, is, is major today whenever they're putting you under. So they always have to, you, you have to sign the, um, the living will just in case, in case, in case things go south. And um, I was sharing that with some of the guys uh, this week on staff and some of the elders, and it was it was like um, automatically. Uh, Aaron was asking for my baseball collection. Um, <laughs> Josh wanted all my baseball bats from my collection. Stewart was claiming my my books. Um, last I heard, there was actually in an in an elders meeting, um, uh, Matt and Craig were arguing over who gets my Jeep, <laughs> and. It, I was thinking about it, you know, I was, I was seeking a little compassion. I called my older sister, she called me, I should say, and, and, and knowing that I would get sympathy from my older sister, first thing out of her mouth, she said, can I have that Naval Academy sweatshirt, you know that, that dark blue one? You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to announce that, that I'm still here and there's so many disappointed people, um, but praise God for... Uh, his will in, in coming through that. Also as well, tucked in between kind of these, these big events, um, this week was another really important um, milestone um, in the history of Big Woods Bible Church. And there was a huge answer to prayer. Um, as you know, it has been somewhat silent on the, the movement of our building project and like what is going on. And we have just literally every time, just we need to be praying. We need to be praying. Just keep it before the Lord because there have been hurdles after hurdles after hurdles. Um, and this Thursday, 
I'd love for you to see this. Um, this, is, this is the first picture of me without a gallbladder, um, <laughs> officially. This was on Thursday morning, and we gathered with the trustees, um, our, our, our legal counsel and, and banks represented, and we were able to close officially um, on a very important decision in regards to the financial um, uh, means to, to go forward with the building. So with that, I wanted you to see this. This has not really been seen by anyone other than this morning. I want you to know that two weeks from this day, two weeks from this very morning, okay, it'll be after the second service, we are all going over to the new property, okay, we're going to have little tents and a little hot cider regardless of how, how cold or crisp it may be, and we're going to have an official groundbreaking ceremony uh, giving all of the glory to the Lord, and we look forward to moving forward on that uh, project just as soon as possible. And so God is really doing some amazing things. Um, forgive us for having been somewhat silent, but we've just been praying. That's the news that we had to give. So this is a huge answer to prayer, and we want you to be part of that. So two weeks. Amen. <clears throat> two weeks from today, October the 23rd, um, you early morning people either come to the second service or come back because everyone, every one of us need to be there for that amazing day. We need to pray. This is a great text. There is a word. There is a theme that will continue to surface throughout this. Um, and it is so important, especially in light of the fact of where we are, okay, as a church moving forward in this community as we desire to fulfill the vision that he's given to us. And it is the word compassion. Every single one of us today, from the example that is given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, have got to examine, okay, the amount of compassion that exists in our heart for those in the community around us. That's going to be the theme that we see in our, in our text, what I call a hungry crowd and a compassionate Christ. We'll read the text in just a moment. Let's first bow our heads. Praise God for his amazing answers to prayer, but also, also ask for his help as we learn this morning together. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we, Lord, just, just literally fall on our faces, our heads bowed before your presence, acknowledging uh, your great glory. We sing of your amazing grace. We have seen, Lord, your hand sustaining us um, individually and, and corporately. Now, Father, I just pray for us as a church as we seek to be obedient to your will for us. Uh, Father, help us, Lord, to to see others in our community who are hurting and in need. And God, I would ask that we would understand the importance of sacrifice and taking even, even the tiny little resources that we have been given and using them, Lord, for your glory and allowing you to multiply for, for, for your, your great name. Father, I pray, Lord, for many uh, this week who have suffered in the, the wake of, of this hurricane Father, I would ask, Lord, that you would be with families who've lost loved ones. I pray especially for, for the many, uh, particularly in Haiti, who are suffering. Uh, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would learn the importance of compassion um, here and abroad, that we would follow your example. And, Lord, this is something in our flesh that, that we just we can't fake and we can't produce. Uh, Lord, but we need your spirit working through us to display this. Father, I would ask right now that you would be with this message and please, Lord, guard my mind and my mouth. Uh, help all of us to hear from you. 
Uh, Father, I would ask that you would be glorified, that you would be the focus, that you would be heard, uh, that you would be worshipped. Uh, Lord, that we would get uh, a greater understanding of who you are and who um, the God-man, Jesus Christ, truly is as we continue to follow the mission that he is on. Uh, bless us now, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> you cannot read this text, Mark chapter 8. We have what is referred to as the feeding of the 4,000 without automatically thinking, uh, instantly, immediately, this sounds relatively familiar, doesn't it? It's kind of a, a similar uh, setting not that long ago, feeding crowds of hungry, tired people. And we immediately go back, and you only have to turn your pages, a, a couple pages, uh, back to Mark chapter 6, when there's the feeding of the 5,000. You know me, I, I love a great baseball quote, Yogi Berra watching Mickey Mansell and Roger Maris hit back-to-back -back home runs says this. We know the, the philosophy of Yogi Berra. He says, it's, it's, it's deja vu all over again. It's kind of like this idea, like, we've been here before, haven't we? You ever read a text description? Like, this sounds relatively familiar. That's exactly what is happening right here. Now, some critics of God's word or skeptics would say, actually, this is just an indication of how poorly scripture is put together, that it was bad storytelling. It's actually the same story told incorrectly over again. And people actually have attacked scripture as a result of these two miracles. Now, let me, let me make it very clear. We cannot, we cannot confuse these two miracles as being one miracle, okay? There are significant differences. Before we read this, let me just allow you to attest to the fact that this is an entirely different miracle. It's a different set of circumstances altogether. First and foremost, we know that this is in a different location, geographically speaking. They're in what? Decapolis. They're on the far southern side of the Sea of Galilee. The first miracle took place, and they were on the northern side, closer up near Capernaum. We'll see that this is a different time frame. And the feeding of the 5,000, it was one day people were hungry. This is three days people were hungry. It's a different number of people, 5,000 to 4,000. Different number of loaves that were used. Five loaves versus seven loaves. It's a different number of people, 5,000 to 4,000. It's a different number of baskets left over, 12 baskets to 7 baskets. Many would say that they're just discrepancies between Mark 6 and Mark 8. It's the same story over and over again. What I want you to pay attention to is that one word, and we'll look at it very quickly. It's the word baskets. In Mark chapter 6 in verse 43, it says there's 12 baskets. It's the Greek word kofanos. It, it means, if you remember, it was a little basket a little like lunch that you'd almost personally carry with you, kofanos. In Mark chapter 8, we have seven baskets. It's a whole different word for the word baskets. It's sporos. It means a full basket or a very, very large basket. It's interesting to note in Acts chapter 9 and verse 25, when the apostle Paul was being let down over the wall at Damascus, they put him in a basket. They actually put him in a sporos which is a large one. Okay, so what you understand is there's, there's seven baskets, massive, 
left over after this feeding, a lot more bread than the initial one. Different story here, different miracles altogether. Later in Mark chapter 8, you'll see this conversation where the disciples speak in verse 14 that they had forgotten to take bread with them. A lot of conversation here about bread and food. And Jesus tells me, are you, are you kidding me? He said, you're really concerned about bread? And, and what he does is he retells. We'll look at this later on. But he retells the story of what? I fed you here and I fed you here. And he, he accounts for the differences. So first and foremost, as we launch into this, don't ever blur the two into one. These are two distinct miracles. What we have to understand here is the reason that there's two miracles has everything to do with the location and the people that are witnessing the miracle. That's what we have to understand. It's an entirely different region ethnically, particularly religiously. This is in what? Gentile country. Now, we would probably say in our language today that this particular miracle took place on the other side of the tracks. Okay, you know how like we kind of hang here and then there's other things that happen. Jesus is giving to us an example that the gospel isn't limited to a select few of those that you like to hang around you or those who are what? Given the blessing of knowing you personally, the gospel goes to everyone, Jew and Gentile. We see this more than anything else. Jesus loves and he cares for all people just as we are too as well. The problem is this. If we examine, and I begin with my own heart, if we examine the capacity for compassion that exists in our hearts, let, let, let me tell you this. It's tiny. Now, it does exist. What happens, it, it exists towards those that are surrounding us directly or immediately. The theme of this text is following the example of a compassionate Christ and praying, Lord, I need you to increase the capacity for compassion in my heart. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot fulfill the vision that God has given to us in Lock Haven. Okay, unless we really begin to get this text right here, and we, unless we begin to expand and enlarge the compassion, the capacity for it that exists in our own heart. We've got to learn to see other people outside of the little circle that you and I like to hang with. I cannot emphasize that enough. Here it is. This is the last recorded miracle in Gentile country. Okay? In all of Syrophoenicia, before the Lord goes back, here's our text. Mark chapter 8, we pick it up in verse 1. In those days, when, a, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and, and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And... If I, if I send them away, hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. 
And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied and took up and took up the broken pieces left over, seven sporos full, seven large baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. I love this. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, he got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Number one, Jesus sees a hungry crowd. Number one, there's this phrase, um, it says in, in verse two, I have compassion on the crowd. The New American Standard translates it very uniquely. I feel compassion for the crowd. Now, what I want you to note here is very, very interesting is what? Of all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only time it is recorded that Jesus, okay, God in the flesh of a man, Okay, it is recorded in first singular person where what? I have or I feel compassion. This is the only time in all of the New Testament. Every other time, and there are numerous references to Jesus displaying compassion. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34. Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. It says that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, the widow woman who lost her son, it says that Jesus felt compassion. What I want you to notice is that every other circumstance, it's what? It's observation. There's Jesus, okay? There's Jesus displaying compassion. This is not observation, it's declaration. I have this. I have this inside of me. Compassion, it's this long Greek word, it's hard to pronounce, and it talks about from the very, very inner being. I feel it deep within, and literally it translates itself in, in the gut or in the intestines. I feel compassion deep within. That's what Jesus is displaying for us. He, he in a sense, is different, unique from every other so-called deity or God that exists. Realize that all of the other belief systems and faiths and religion, no other God, lowercase g, displays compassion in this type of a way where it's a personal, I feel this. 
Why? Why? Because the God-man Jesus is what? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He sees in our hearts the ache and the hurt. And he says, I have compassion, particularly while we live in a community of people that are hurting. Jesus looks at that crowd and says, I have this. I feel this. What do you think you and I are supposed to feel as followers of Christ? Now, we, we know this story here. It's, it's, it's similar. The crowds have been following Jesus around. The crowds simply have not ceased. The work has not stopped. The needs have not all yet been met. It says that they've been following Jesus. It has now been three days of teaching, of ministering, and they're in the middle of a desolate place, a desert-type place. There's no markets. There's no shops. There's no stores or restaurants. There's no drive throughs It's hard for us to even imagine three days and the crowd is getting hungry and restless. What to do here? What is it to do? Now, what I thought is interesting as well, one of the commentators directed us to the fact that this is not a life and death situation here. Like, if these people did not get food, would they have died after three days? No, frankly, sorry. You can live a lot longer than three days without food. It's simply what Jesus feels for them. He says, I can't send them home. It says they've come from a long way. If I send them home, they will faint. The word means to fall over. They will, they will collapse or drop from hunger and exhaustion. They're not going to die, but he feels for them. I thought about it. Do, do I feel what Jesus feels for crowds of hungry people, crowds of unlost people? Do I? Do, do, do you have compassion for the lost, the hurting, the confused? A lot of times what I find is kind of serves you right. That was a dumb decision that you made in the first place. Who in the world goes on a journey for three days and doesn't bring any food? Isn't it interesting that we oftentimes look at the hardships of others and we're like, serves you right. You, you, you should have what? You should have not made that decision. You shouldn't have squandered your... That's not what Jesus sees. He simply sees what? What we need to see. As a crowd, we've got to see crowds and have compassion. Jesus sees a hungry crowd. Secondly, the disciples offer limited resources. There's a question here. I think it's rather interesting in verse 4. The, the disciples ask and says, How can one feed these people with bread? in this desolate place. Now, again, immediately, we're like, come on, guys. Like, it was only a couple weeks ago, from Mark chapter 6 to Mark chapter 8. Do they really have that bad of a memory? Is their memory really that short or that slow at learning? Can I tell you something here? This question is not really the way that we would immediately hear it, like, Oh, I, I guess the disciples are saying, well, what are we going to do here? Understand this. The question that's being asked is for the audience. The question that's being asked is for the Gentiles. It's not like, oh, no, how can we feed these people with bread in the middle of this, this place? Have you ever been in a situation, and it's happened probably like once or twice in your entire life. Okay, you're driving somewhere, and you're with other people in a car, 
No one else has a clue where you're supposed to go, but you do. You're in a familiar setting, okay? It doesn't, guys, I know it doesn't happen that often, but it happens maybe once or twice. And we love that moment. We actually know. And you're like, I don't know. Should I turn left or right? I don't know. This is the idea here. It's not like, what are we going to do with the bread? The disciples are asking a question like this. Hmm. What are we going to do out here in the middle of this place? And we have no bread. They know who they're with. The, the gospel has been made very clear that Jesus is here for a purpose. And the disciples are actually beginning to get this. Jesus asked the question, how, how, many, how many loaves do you have here? And like, only seven. And, and automatically, verse 7, it says that they add a few small fish. Very clear instruction, very orderly, okay? And I love the decently and in order, okay, structure that exists here. It says that he sat them down on the ground. It said he blessed the, 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 the loaves, and he began to pass it out. Then they said, we have a few small fish. A second time, he blesses these few small fish, and he begins to give them out. It is a miracle as he's giving them out. He gives them to the disciples. The disciples give it to the people. As he is giving them out, he's, in a sense, creating what bread from grain that never grew and creating fish that never swam. In, in Matthew's gospel, um, it's actually listed in present tense. It says, and gave or giving them to the disciples, and the disciples gave or giving them to the crowds. He's creating it as he's giving it out to the disciples who are dispersing to the crowd. Amazing. Understand, there are no limits. There's no limits, okay, in what? Showing compassion when the creator God is here. We worship and we sing of God's amazing grace. There's no limits to what God can provide for us when we continue to distribute to the needs for those around us. Jesus sees a hungry crowd. The disciples offer limited resources. Number three, Jesus provides food for thousands. The, the, the gospel of Matthew, as I said earlier, I quote it, is the parallel. Matthew chapter 15 is the parallel passage, and it gives more detail. It suggests what in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 15, that there were 4,000 besides women and children. Okay, 4,000 men. So we're looking at a crowd of about 15 to 20,000 with all of the women, all of the children, a massive crowd that has not eaten in three days. You've sat down before a feast that has been prepared for you and how much food it takes just to feed a big family. Think about 15 to 20,000. It says this in verse 8 that they ate and were satisfied. It actually translates that they were full or they were stuffed so much so that they're gathering leftovers. They could not eat any more. And this time they pick up, it says very specifically in verse 8, seven baskets. There is 
discussion and, and you can't push this too far. There were 12 baskets, little ones, Kofanos left over. Each one of the disciples perhaps got their own little lunch. Now we have seven, and so you can't press this or push this, but there is a, 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 an understanding of the rendering of the number seven. The, the number seven is what? It's called the perfect number, the number of perfection, the number of completion. So perhaps there is some symbolism to the number of seven that says what? This is now the fulfillment or the completion of the gospel going to what? Now it goes to the Gentiles. It goes to everyone. It's not limited to a select few. We just hang with those in our circle that we love. No, no, no. This is, this is symbolic, perhaps, suggestion. Interesting to note that the number seven talks about the fact that the gospel has now gone to everyone. It is a message of provision, of compassion, and of salvation specifically for the Gentile people which is what? It's you and I. There's blessing in that. We're grateful for that. Just thanks in that. Number four, the Pharisees see an opportunity to cause trouble. These guys are just relentless. After a miracle, Jesus, and like this, a miracle of this magnitude, of this size, Jesus gets into the boat and heads back up north to the region of Dalmanutha, and you think that, again, that the Pharisees, who are just troublemakers, they're the buzzing, flying gnats or flies around Jesus' head, just plaguing them, that they would tire of just being a bother. But nope, these guys are what I refer to as relentlessly annoying. I'll be perfectly honest. Have you watched any of the news recently? Okay, whether or not it's the, the, the Washington politics or the upcoming election or the economic condition of our it is what every time you turn on it's forgive me it's just relentlessly annoying even for a little bit of a news junkie like myself i love to f know what's going on it's just it's just relentlessly annoying that's these guys right here and what they're doing is they're specifically kind of like searching digging for what a problem. They began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. And this is a key term, to test him. Let's, let's put him on trial. Let's see if he really is who he says he is. Show us something directly from God. Now, can you imagine this? It's not because their hearts are searching. It's not because they, they really desire to to know personally and to learn more about, to believe and to trust and to worship. God sees their hearts. And what they're trying to do here, forgive me, is they're trying to pick a fight. Just, just a constant prodding, picking a fight. Um, I, I, there was a kid, there was a kid in, in my elementary school, David Brown. And he had, one, he had one brown eye and he had one blue eye. It was fascinating to look at. And he had a cracked tooth right in the front. Every single day I saw him, he'd like, how you doing today, Booger? Huh? How is it, Booger? And I'm like, it's a short O. It's Boger. <laughs> every, every single day, every single time, it's just this constant, like, mm that, That's what these guys are doing right here. They're just trying to like, pick a fight, cause a problem. They have witnessed what? They've been following along. 
They've been watching. They've witnessed miracle after miracle. They've heard testimony after testimony. And they want to test Jesus. They are what? They are blatantly arrogant. There are people today, regardless of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will continually, what, attempt to just pick a fight. They will cut and criticize the word of God. They will, they will make fun and, and mock the Son of God, the people of God. And we have to understand that as we move forward, there will always be those critics and those skeptics who just want to cause a problem, who just want to pick a fight. Jesus makes a statement here. He is, he is not going to do tricks. He's no one's trick pony. Okay, he's not going to bend or succumb or fine, we'll give you what you want to hear. He's not like that. Jesus is at no one's beck and call except his heavenly father. And we see this fourthly, excuse me, fifthly, and finally, Jesus proves he is the one who has the final Authority. Jesus proves he is the one who has the final authority. Before there's any response, okay, they're looking, why don't you show us something? Why don't you do something, huh? Why don't you? Why don't you? And, and, I, and I love the, the detail here. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Now, I, I, want, to, I want to believe that they heard him sigh. I'm not exactly sure. It's, it says specifically it's in his spirit, but there's just this gasp of, oh, oh. Showing what, in a sense, that, that, that there is an attitude that these people have that Jesus clearly is not pleased with. It shows that these people do not have a desire to worship and to obey and to believe. Jesus responds, and if you recall even last week, actually the last couple weeks, we talked about the fact that Jesus responds in different ways to different people. Sometimes it's really, really tough, you know, John chapter 11 with Martha, whereas it's really, really tender and compassionate and gentle with Mary. He just weeps with her. We, we saw the, 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 the tough reproach by the Syrophoenician woman, in a sense, and yet we see the tenderness from the deaf man from just last week. Because Jesus always sees our heart, and he gives to us exactly what he knows what we need. And Jesus sighs this, this deep sigh, and he says, I say to you, no sign will be given. You'll get nothing from me. In a sense, almost displaying exasperation, why is it this, this generation wants a sign? They're not getting who I am. They don't desire to see who I really am. And it says this, and he left them. He got into his boat, and he sails north. By, by their asking for a sign, automatically shows us that there's one essential ingredient necessary for salvation, necessary for redemption. There's one ingredient that is needed in order for there to be redemption, rescue from our sin. What? It's a change of heart. It's humiliation to say, I, I need what you have to offer. And they what? They don't have it. They reject 
And Jesus what? And he left them. Now, does it mean that he doesn't care? No, no, no. He, he gives them the opportunity. He has displayed all kinds in front of them, before them. But because they refuse, Jesus leaves them. Now, we understand the whole excursion in the Gentile country teaches some amazing lessons that we have got to hold on to. That as, as we search the capacity for compassion in our own hearts, that we say, God, please give us more. Give us more. God, we need more like you. The person of Christ, the, the, the God-man, is revealed by his showing of divine power. In feeding of what? An entire crowd of thousands of people. And we know ultimately that he desires to be worshipped and that we are oftentimes the instruments of grace that God has given to those crowds to introduce them to the God that we worship. And so we pause this morning, even with motion around us and movement or excitement, we pause even with the hopes of as we move forward in our community, fulfilling the vision that God has given to us. And we understand that it begins in our own hearts, falling down and worshiping, acknowledging the one God. And then, Lord, in, in, increase the compassion in our hearts to show that to the crowds around us. I, I, am, I am so excited. I've heard testimony just this week uh, in individuals who lost loved ones and ones within this body that just came around and showed compassion and ministered. Ones who went through illness or sickness. Some who just went through spiritual battles of, of emotional just duress and exhaustion. And others who have come alongside. Praise God for that. Praise God. And we thank God for a body that, that holds that testimony. But may we also expand that thinking into the community for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be us. Father, we thank you for this example. We love you. We thank you, Lord, that, that as you have displayed compassion, you have called us to do the same. And in our own hearts, and our own flesh, Lord, it's so, it's so tiny and limited. God, help us, Lord, to show um, your love and compassion, to feel as you feel. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is not limited to a few, but it is open to all. Father, help us, Lord, all to fall at your feet and recognize who you are. We love you. We thank you for your grace in loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.